Tum, 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 tararam, tum. Tum, tum. <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't. We could try. No, it's fine. Now you just ruined it. It's just destroyed. It's just ruined. I know, I know. We need to enjoy the silence. You need to just, be, be, just behave yourself, basically. I'll try. Um, <coughs> hello. This isn't. We might as well just jump in. Hello. Hi, Richard. This is where no. This is not. No, I'm saying hello to them, oh. not to you. Oh. I can say hello to This is Richard from We're Not Wizards. Um, joining me today, tonight, tomorrow, Tuesday, Friday, could be Wednesday, is Yuraj uh, Bilic. Oh, you mispronounced that. Oh, come on. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just, you know, it's not going to be a, a hard rule. Just uh, use the epsilon. Do you know the epsilon? A little bit. Oh yes, so Epsilon uh, accept the chase, that's it, and you'll be fine. Thank you very much. Sure. <laughs> uh, joining us from Adreamer Games, which is also known, well, um, a little while ago, he um, published uh, Machina Arcana, and uh, mm -hmm. Machina Arcana went on to do, was very, very successful as a Kickstarter. In fact, it so, was so successful as a Kickstarter that he is back to release his, uh, he's, he's, he's unleashed his horror, his gothic horror and steampunky type horror of his second edition upon us, aren't you? Huh. <laughs> That's actually <laughs> a very good intro and uh, very correct and... Uh... Also, I need to mention it's not just me, you know, no, Richard, no. The, the voices in my head uh, are just <laughs> going to be, are just so strong that it's not even me that's doing all of that. So the game that's... just needs to get out into the world. So I'm oh. just, you know, some kind of a vessel of a medium. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> for people who are listening for the first time and wondering what is going on, it's okay. I don't know either. But the reason, the reason that we do this is because we're almost at episode 200, and if I don't get to episode 200, then I'll be considered an abject failure. And the second, <laughs> the second reason that we do this is because, um, well, you, uh, you sent us through an email, didn't you? You sent us through an email oh, yeah. and said, um, could we have a chat about uh, Machina Arcana? And I said yes, and now I'm wondering what I let myself <laughs> um, why you why you clicked on the mail in the spam folder and just said not a spam <laughs> exactly i should have just filed it away and went exactly do not, yeah. do not open under any circumstances at all um uh -huh. <clears throat> are you well first of all uh well you mean like mentally physically in, in, in well, what Probably physically, first of all, I'm not sure mentally. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've seen better days. My little yeah. spawns from the kindergarten get some bugs back. 
uh, and infected me, so I'm a little bit physically unwell, but mentally I'm doing pretty okay. I don't mind. Are you excited then? Because you sound excited. You sound like somebody that's on the brink of just running about cheering happily. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But I'm going to try to have my cool poker face for now. <laughs> I can't even see your face. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, let's set the way back clock. I mean, you when the last time you released um, Machina Arcana, you set a funding goal of $20,000 and you went on and you did seven times that you did like 142,000 kind of dollars at the time so it was a it was a it was a resounding success with about 1700 backers at the time um i mean before we talk about the current campaign which is going to be Mm -hmm. launching probably around about the time this episode actually goes out do you Mm -hmm. want to tell us please tell us how did you get into the hobby in the first place Huh. Well, actually, that was my first game that I actually even designed. You know, I the most of the time that I, when I played games, they were mostly video games, and uh, somehow I stumbled upon the upon the game of uh, Arkham Horror, and uh, I was so some somehow like enthralled with it and uh, immersed into that whole world, uh, being also Lovecraft fan before that that it just opened my opened my eyes in a way and so i just somehow came to the conclusion look i really like video games but in order to create a video game of uh, of a high quality it's almost impossible to do that on my own yeah but yeah. but for to do some kind of a board game uh, version it doesn't seem such an impossible quest and then the voices started to happen, <laughs> and then it was all out of my control. Then I started just researching about the, about similar mechanics and board games, and uh, where would I see uh, that world that I envisioned? Uh, how mm-hmm. would I see the mechanics being uh, being played out? And just piece by piece, uh, with the different iterations of the different versions, uh, I just. Uh, created that game uh, actually i also have i had at that time a nice job you know i'm a software designer uh, okay. uh, engineer and uh, at one point i just said like screw that you know i'm gonna take a year <laughs> of my life off uh-huh. just investing in something investing in some kind of a project and just gonna see what happens if after a year you know nothing happens so okay i'm still gonna find a job so it's going to be a problem but if i'm going to uh, create something it's going to be a success then great even better yeah so that's why i decided you know just just to play with it just to, to try to do something and uh, to take a risk and in the end it seems it was a great risk what kind of um what kind of video games did you use to play then what was your uh, well they were mostly like uh, rpgs at that time uh you know, I have a few years uh, under my belt, so I'm more like a Fallout guy, Baldur's Gate guy, that oh, kind right. of stuff. You know, even uh, you know the Morrowind. I've spent countless years, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> in that world. Skyrim? Uh, no, no way, no. no oh. Even Oblivion, I didn't like that. I mean, it it felt a little bit 
bleak and not as immersive as uh, as Morrowind. I know mm-hmm. maybe I'm I'm getting old and uh, grumpy at some of those new kids and their games, but uh, I don't know. It doesn't have it didn't have the same flavor for me as Morrowind did. I'm surprised. Well, maybe not, because I don't know you, so I don't know your actual video mm-hmm. game taste, but I thought, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's got to try Skyrim at, at least once. So you're more into, like, a, like a Diablo 3 type thing? Yeah. Well, I tried Diablo 3. Well, it was okay. Uh, all the, that whole marketplace thing and just paying with money and <laughs> didn't uh, stick well with me. So, to yeah. be honest, I played most of Diablo 1. So the right, first okay. installment was, even though you know when I revisited that like a years after, it seemed very you know bleak and very straightforward, some just a, some kind of a grinding game, but but it had its fun, especially when you're with your party and just dungeon crawling. Did you, um, in terms of board games, I mean, have you? Did you get exposure to quite a few games? I mean, have you have you got a reasonable size kind of collection of board games now? Uh, to be honest, no. And uh, <clears throat> I looked and in, uh, inspected a lot of board games, but uh, I didn't have time. And uh, I, to be honest, well, it's going to be strange uh, statement, but I didn't have a lot of friends to play with. Like, uh, if I would like to, to buy like 10 board games... Uh, and some some of them need like four players, and uh, I need to go through like ten of them in one week. It wouldn't be a viable solution for me. Yeah. So I downloaded the manuals, uh, looked through all the all the videos and reviews and overviews, and uh, actually I learned and went through a lot of board games, not through actually playing, but simulating them in my mind and trying to mimic the feeling uh, of the things that I loved when I looked at specific things. No, I mean, I can I can understand that completely. I know that there's um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of um, people out there who are doing kind of like solo variants of games nowadays. I mean, it seems to be kind of a bigger thing that people want to be able to set a game in front of them and be able to enjoy the experience as much as possible if they're playing it by themselves and I think it's almost like I see it a lot of times on um, Kickstarter nowadays mm-hmm. is there's you know people people kind of ask yes I know you've got the the five and six player variant but is anybody doing kind of like the the solo yes, variant so as well yeah. so there'll be people be kind of um you know there'd be people could be kind of be writing games kind of you know kind of just specifically just for that, yeah. to take it on, which is you know, which is um, which is a pretty cool thing. I reckon, um, yeah. I mean, people don't have enough time. They don't have enough time to maybe sit sit down and play for five or six hours. And also, sometimes right. they don't have enough time just to sit all their friends down and actually get it organised so everybody is, you know, everybody's together and playing. So I think that's why you see games like say, um, Unbroken. Which you mm-hmm. know did very very well on the Kickstarter, and that's like a solo, a solo game, and that ended up doing about, I think it rocketed to like about, it was almost six hundred thousand Canadian dollars. So it did yes, an awful yeah, lot of yeah. money. We yeah, um, yeah. you know, yeah, we had um, we had I think it was Artem. We had him had him on the show 
and it was just before mm-hmm. the, it was before even the Kickstarter had launched. So <laughs> we didn't know at the time what it was going to do, and he kind of explained it. And we had a it was really strange because he was actually he spoke to me when he was at his work. <laughs> so we had like <laughs> he says was he calm uh, as well before the launch. Oh, he was. Um, well, he didn't know what was going to happen. It was really, um, oh, it was really, really strange because he was just like, "Well, um, I'm finishing work for the day, but then I've got like, um, he only had a set amount of time before he had to set off and be home to be with his family. I think at the time, <laughs> so he said like, mm-hmm. so he said, okay, well, we'll we'll record what we can. So I think we we spoke for about half an hour or something like that, and then he had to go, and then that was it. And the next thing he knows, he launches, and he must have funded in about. 15 minutes or something and yeah, then it kind of kind of kept going um did it was it difficult or did you did you find it more difficult then to create a game yourself from scratch or was it easier to do the kind of the compare and contrast of the different kind of rules with you know the way that you were kind of experiencing kind of games anyway through the kind of rule books mm-hmm, and things mm-hmm. like that well it was actually uh, an iterative process because besides uh, besides the board games and the video games, uh, I also like to play uh, Magic the Gathering, you know, that kind of a card yeah. game. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So uh, the first, like, uh, the first version, like proto version, I, I would say to some extent, was some kind of an, a, like, a, not Dungeons and Dragons combined to Magic the Gathering uh version of a game that I created and so what I'm trying to say is that uh, through many iterations and versions of the game uh, it started to crystallize and the first ver- version was uh, not even close to the final version of Machina Arcana mm-hmm. so as the as the version progressed uh, and with a lot of uh, playtesting again and using my friends of course like uh, like guinea pigs uh, somehow the, the game emerged on her own. So the first version, no, it was not even similar and close to the final. But through like 15 or 20 iterations, that's it. I just felt that all the pieces uh, like fell into place. How, I mean, how difficult, because one of the things they talk about when you're developing a game is, is, um, is the playtesting. So with okay. you kind of developing it yourself and you already saying, well, there was a there was a bit of a difficulty kind of having getting people to kind of play games in the first place. Did you have to kind of trust on your instincts in terms of the playtesting, developing the mechanics, or did you get the chance to have other people kind of experience in the game? Uh, well, both. Uh, the, the biggest uh, push towards like the final version of the game uh, was being made after the convention uh, in, in Croatia where mm-hmm. we just uh, went with the game and there were like maybe maybe a hundred sessions or so and uh, with the with all of the people just that I didn't know that they were like strangers and they just sat on the table and we played with them and uh, and that brought, brought like two things uh, to mind. First everything like played really nicely so it was a really not a big surprise but some kind of a you know a relief like okay i'm on the right track i'm not doing some really big mistakes like fundamental mistakes uh, but also the second thing is with uh, with the tuning and uh, 
with just removing some of the unneeded stuff or uh, tweaking uh, the existing stuff and trying to make uh, the better balance and better enjoyment for all. So, yeah, the testing was done uh, mostly by myself, but before the launch to the public. And then uh, with the conventions only with, uh, with strangers, I would say I, I've experienced how the game really works. Because even with your friends, uh, there's going to be some kind of a bias towards you yeah, and towards yeah, the game. Yeah. Was it strange kind of getting feedback from people um, that, you, you know, obviously there were kind of these strangers, critis- you know, maybe critiquing the game, potentially being critical of the game? And, and was it a bit of an eye-opener in terms of how the, maybe the rules were laid out or some of the mechanics? Did that make you kind of change how how those things were done? Huh. Maybe I was lucky in a way, or maybe also the context really mattered because uh, uh, we were on a different conventions. And when you are at conventions, people are already in a, a, a specific mindset, really open and positive and just trying to, to look and try for stuff. It's not like I somehow organized uh, like a meeting where strangers would come and play the game. So... Uh, we weren't the only game they played, so it was the setting that really uh, brought the the best of of the play testing with strangers. Maybe it wouldn't be the same experience if uh, it, it was done under a different setting. So no, it was a really pleasant experience, and uh, and a lot of people that were strangers were afterwards friends that, and some of them are actually part of the team right now. <laughs> I mean, so you went. I mean, you went. Um, you went ahead, and you obviously you launched the Kickstarter. Um, the Kickstarter page itself um, had a lot of information, but um, then there was tutorials, and you did a lot kind of like demos and stuff like that. What was it? I mean, one thing I noticed is that you you didn't have an awful lot of um, reviews on the Kickstarter page. I mean, was that a difficult thing? as a first time creator to kind of get that. I mean I know this is maybe like you've got the mm-hmm, I've seen about mm-hmm. five on there a video as well. I mean was that quite a difficult thing to kind of get you to get? Well actually the our industry is very special in uh, in term of uh, openness and uh, somehow uh, uh, a lot of people as you know as yourself are very very approachable and very positive about and enthusiastic even about new things, uh, new people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say that uh, I was—I wouldn't say that I'm lucky. I'm actually lucky to be working in an industry that's so open, open and positive. Because uh, uh, we before uh, before our first launch, uh, first edition, we contacted a lot of reviews uh, reviewers, and most of them. Uh, got back with a with a positive response that and they wanted to review the game, but we didn't have a lot of proto- prototypes, so we needed to have some kind of a you know we need to to choose between them, and I think uh, we just uh, we've chosen a few of them like Dice Tower and mm-hmm. uh, the board game Quest and yeah uh, who made the the reviews and my idea was okay i don't need like uh, 15 of uh, small reviewers maybe it's just better to to preview the game by the established reviewers and that would be i hope enough for the backers to see that we're legit yeah yeah 
of course, it's all, I mean, it's changed an awful lot nowadays. <laughs> I think people are expecting to have a huge, a bigger list, especially if you're a first-time kind of creator. I think they're expecting kind of like more, you know, they're expecting to see more kind of reviews, previews, kind of, um, I guess more kind you know. of video, you know. Yeah, yeah. not just, not just that. I mean, uh, you know, uh, market changes and with that, expectations uh, of the backers change a lot and it evolves and uh, that's a good thing because uh, in a way it pushes the, the boundary to have the better and the, the better quality uh, games and designs uh, it's some kind of a competitive market uh, the bad thing is I mean and that's the that's the drawback is that sometimes even like the smaller uh, creators, first-time creators, and who don't invest a lot of money in their in their art and uh, in prototypes, in reviews, because you know some of those reviews are paid reviews, and it's kind of hard uh, without uh, connections, without money to be to be seen. So that's the that's the drawback. You can have really a, a marvelous idea, like the, the the best board game ever. But if you don't have the, enough of the investment generating spotlight, I don't think it's, it's going to be good for you. I mean, you you launched the original Kickstarter launch was um, was it back in was it twenty thirteen? Yeah, launched? towards the end, like we ended on Christmas. I mean, um, you must have. I mean, you must have seen a huge. There's been a huge change in Kickstarter kind of since then. I mean, are you quietly confident, you know, this is a second edition, you must be quietly confident you're still going to fund, or with the change in the landscape, are you saying, well, I hope that we're still a big enough noise to kind of get, you know, to kind of get, um, to be as successful as we were last time? If I was a big publisher, I would be confident, you know, if, uh, but at the moment, I'm actually first creator. And uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I wouldn't say uh, I am confident on on the work that we've done. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, it's just hope. I don't know what's going to happen, so I don't have any confidence. Like, yeah, I know we're going to fund. No, not at all. I I feel that we've done everything on our part to to produce like a really not just. A second edition with more content. Uh, we had a couple of years to perfect the mechanics, completely rewrite the manual from scratch, uh, create the art from scratch. So there's a lot of things that we created and we uh, accomplished. And actually today we had uh, even a, a review preview of sorts from Board Game Quest, yeah. who I really admire uh, their their opinion, and uh, I really enjoyed. You know, just reading that preview because it it boosted my confidence. But was it, it was it was it a bit nostalgic me. as well? As in, was it kind of like a bit nostalgic? Kind of because they obviously were one of the guys that reviewed it last time. Did it yeah, kind of give yeah. you a flashback? Did they, <laughs> did they use the same sentences? <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't copy paste the previous article. <laughs> <laughs> just like to change the date at the bottom and just said no it's still still very 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 kind of good um, yeah. but again I mean is is the approach kind of going to be the same I mean are you I mean what okay let's let's talk about um, 
let's talk about uh, Machina Arcana. Mm-hmm. How many? Cha- I mean, with you having obviously so many backers from last time, and having the input of those backers with regards to those people playing it, um, is there? A, have you changed an awful lot in the latest, the second edition, to warrant a lot of those people coming back and picking up the second edition? Do you think? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, did you, were you conscious about that kind of making enough changes? That's the very, you know, you are walking on a thin line because uh, you have the the game that's already established and the me- mechanics that are already there. So are you going to, like, rework the game to have completely different experience? Are you just going to balance, balance something out? Or are you just going to go with the route of just, oh, I'm just going to put additional content and that's it, slap you know, a sticker, it's a second edition, just buy, we have like uh, 90 new items. So uh, in the, in those few years, uh, my biggest concern was to create like a, a game that really represents everything that I wanted to be uh, yeah, of yeah. Machina Arcana, because... Uh, Take into consideration that uh, for the first edition, uh, I didn't just deal uh, dealt with uh, with the game and mechanics and game design and game content. You know, there's uh, there's a lot of stories and uh, short events, so I needed to to write a lot of stuff and uh, you know the distribution and organization of the team of the the production and logistics and finance. I needed to do everything on my own, so I didn't had that kind of a luxury of time to really develop the best possible game. I just wanted to to have the best possible game in that one year of developing. Mm-hmm. So afterwards, uh, when I got the feedback from the people, from the backers, and uh, when I had a few years just to reflect on everything that's been done, that gave me a lot of a lot of munition. I would say to really. A dig into the Machina Arcana and just to grab everything that's that that's great about it, and to remove stuff that's just unneeded. So there's a lot of stuff that I just removed from the game. So there's no need for the game uh, to have. If uh, I'm not sure if you know that, but there was some kind of a drop mechanism that you could, uh, you know, you could drop items on the map tiles, and then you yeah. could or your other explorers could pick pick it up later. So I just dropped that because it didn't really bring uh, a lot to the table and uh, it was very seldom uh, being used. So there's a couple of those mechanics that are not bringing uh, anything but introducing complexity to the game. So my biggest concern was how to minimize the complexity, how to make it as easier to learn as possible and with uh, a less components as possible, not to bring more components to the game, but to remove them, uh, to remove the concepts. Because my idea is uh, it's, it's better to have some kind of a tight mechanic with a smallest number of pieces than just to introduce a massive amount of, uh, of cards and types and everything and just try to overwhelm uh, the, ex- uh, the player with, with the stuff that it can do. Uh, On- so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, um, but on the other side of it, I mean, with you having now 
an army of 1,700 people behind you, did it give you scope to then actually speak to some of that community when it came to looking at the second edition and saying, look, you, you, you've supported us the first time round. Did, did they, you know, did they give you feedback? Did you reach out to people that were kind of supportive and vocal in the campaign to kind of get some feedback on what they, what they would like to change as well? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. And, uh, well, the game is uh, alive thanks to those backers, but not just for backing, but just for keeping the flame alive, because uh, really, I, I, I don't know what I would do, because uh, they really uh, had the continual support, not just after, even after the campaign, but throughout those years. And uh, that was like overwhelmingly positive experience, and not just support, like thumbs up, but just giving advices and uh, giving feedback. And uh, uh, of course, I organized some kind of a manual team where uh, a couple of those uh, brilliant people just joined the team in uh, giving the feedback and just talking about the rules, how the, the text uh, could be written in a more you know, simpler, more English manner. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it was a continual support uh, to this day. And uh, this, or this... Uh, uh, this podcast, I want to thank you really, all of them, because I wouldn't be here without their continual support. Yeah, yeah. but still, but still, Richard, uh, I mean, I don't know in the end how many of those backers from the first edition are gonna be in the second one. <laughs> That's just my hoping. Uh, because of that, uh, just to, to also tell you that uh, they will have a special privilege to the campaign. And uh, there's going to be a massive discount for for those uh, older backers to to be a part of the second campaign. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you have um, released a game kind of like a year and a half ago and then said, "Okay, I'm now releasing the second edition and I'm changing things." I mean, you have obviously it's been it has been a number of years. And mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest, it's probably been enough time between the first edition and the kind of the second edition, kind of anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess at this time it would probably be a good idea to explain how do you play it. I mean, what's the what's the mechanics? How would you you know how how does Machina function? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you like to to have some kind of a rundown of of the overall? Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, that would be good. I think. Um, I mean, I think a lot of our the thing about a lot of our listeners is some of them they're getting into board games quite recently. Others will mm-hmm. will have probably only joined a couple of years ago, and for some they'll be you know this will be the first year that they've been doing. They've maybe dipped into a couple of um, Kickstarters, so it'd be a good idea just to hear a little bit about the mechanics um, behind Machina Arcana, if 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 that'd be okay. Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, it's a, like some kind of a story-driven game. So when you start, you will choose a scenario. So there are a couple of those scenarios in this core box, and you will just choose one. And then each scenario has a, a number of chapters, and you will progress through, through the game by progressing through the chapters of the game. And uh, you set up uh, like some kind of a random big uh, map tile board in front of you. You put your explorers. And you start exploring the map tile. You mm-hmm. you have a lot of uh, 
uh, different spaces that you can activate, like a chest, uh, and then you can gain a treasure, or activate an event space, and then something beneficial happens to you, that kind of stuff. Uh, but, of course, bad things happen as well. So, mm -hmm. besides explorers moving around, uh, just uh, enjoying their time in the subterranean complex, monsters will appear as well. Yeah. And and not just monsters, uh, really big horror monsters that are just trying to activate some kind of a subconscious fear and just try it really to drive you crazy. Besides that, there's also bad things that happen as well, some kind of a horror events. So in a way, people just uh, take their turn, then monster. Uh, are going to be spawned, then some bad things may happen, and then monsters play and try to kill and eat the explorers. And that's it. <laughs> sounds, sounds, sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So pleasant. Yeah. Oh, it is. But it's like, for monsters, it's like, it is. It's like my little scythe all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, yeah. yeah. It's some kind of a worker placement uh, mechanic, but uh, uh, the machine works by using the blood of explorers. <laughs> that sounds beautiful. Um, where does scythe uh -huh. up? Um, <laughs> how long does it take for a game? I mean, what do you do? I mean, what kind of actions can you do in the game, first of all? Uh, also, it's uh, it's very important to note that uh, there are like uh, items that you can, uh, of course, by gaining treasure that you can use, and uh, it has a lot of steampunk flavor throughout the game. So you mm -hmm. can upgrade the items. Uh, for example, let's say that you uh, you found some kind of pneumatic hammer uh, in the chest, and then you have some small pistol, and then you try to upgrade that hammer with the pistol, and then you also augment the pistol with some kind of a ghost powder that enables you to target monsters through the walls, that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of mechanics involved with items. And there's a lot of mechanics involved with the events and uh, using the map tile. So let's say that you have a lot of monsters and you just need to run away, because sometimes running away is the best option. Uh, it's not just some kind of a dungeon crawler where you are some heroic uh, you know people who are just gonna uh, kill all the monsters and uh, get the fat loot sometimes it's really survival horror and uh, it's more like tactical horror game than uh, your standard dungeon crawler and uh, when i said like run away sometimes you need to close doors to, to just uh, hinder the monsters or um, you need to activate traps and then you're going to impale everybody on the trapped spaces or you're going to hit the exploding barrel that's going to, of course, explode, that kind of stuff. Is it, um, is it competitive? As in, are you meant to work together as a team or can you kind of mess other, mess other players up <laughs> if you decide you want to do that? Yeah, it's fully cooperative. Yeah, it is. Uh, although, uh, once you die, then it's be it becomes competitive. And uh, by saying so, that means that uh, uh, by default, if no explorer have died, then the, the monsters are governed by the AI. So they're just like some kind of a mindless monsters. They're just going to attack the closest explorer. But if the explorer dies then he's going to control the monsters and he's going to try to kill 
the remaining explorers alive. That's pretty cool. Oh yeah, That's and really also cool. at the at the end of the scenario, <clears throat> there is some kind of an end game. So when you when you finish through all the chapters, and then it's just some kind of a mini game at the end of each scenario with its uh, own special rules, with its own map dial that you need then to win or of course be devoured. I was it, um, I mean, as you're going through, kind of. Um writing the scenarios and things like that were you building up you kind of like your own lore for the mm-hmm. game your own stories for the game as well and did you did you borrow from other elements or did you try and kind of create your own world out of out of nothing uh well i used a lot of uh, feel and uh from the lovecraft and uh, all the monsters are his like initial creations so there's a lot of Lovecraft in there, so that Cthulhu mythos is there. Uh, the, the game itself has a lot of lore and a lot of background story, and for the first edition, we even, uh, not, I wouldn't say published, we even had like two mini books. Uh, one is a storybook that gives you a lot of uh, introduction, a prologue to the whole world, and uh, it takes you through all the scenarios. It's, it's some kind of a combination of the story and the art book. And the second uh, book is uh, Bestiarium that uh, gives you the overview of all the monsters and uh, their background story as well. So there was a lot of uh, like world creation involved. Although I have to say a lot of that was borrowed from the existing uh, existing elements of Lovecraft, mostly. Yeah, I mean, when you're creating your own lore, uh, lore, do you feel compelled to make changes for the sake of making changes? Or are you quite happy to say, well, this is well-established enough and well-thought-out enough that if you started making changes, people are just going to say, that looks that silly because that's not how it would actually work. Okay, yeah, true, true. Uh, although I just used uh, some some like overview stuff. Like I used monsters uh, for from the Cthulhu mythos, but uh, the world of Machina Arcana and what it represents—that's my creation, and that gives me gave me uh, gave me a lot of uh, you know artistic freedom to to articulate what it is and uh, to give me the opportunity to build upon that world without people you know scratching their head and just pointing out look but lovecraft said that so you're using that in a different manner so in a way i used a lot of elements but those elements are really uh like like you know monsters that kind of stuff you know we have spawn of tool but in uh, but the whole world of machina arcana it's much bigger than just a, a series of a series of monsters how um, how long did I mean for you to produce all this content would have taken an awful lot of time. So how yeah. long? I mean, how long were you working away on this? I mean, how many Whoa. were you putting in a lot of hours a week, or were you? Were you I mean, did, you mentioned that you took a year off work. Exactly, so. and that was a year like sixteen hours uh, per day, every day, seven days a week, uh, something like that. You know, yeah, uh, for those kind of things, you need obsession. Yeah. It's not just interest and passion. 
some kind of obsession is needed. And that's also the reason why it took so long for the second edition, because uh, immediately after the, the first edition and when the fulfillment was uh, done, then I needed to, not I needed to, I made a break uh, and uh, I went to Ireland. I went there for a couple of years uh, contracting as a software engineer, had two kids in the meantime. So that's something that really put me on a different route from uh, developing the second edition. And that's the main reason why it took also so many years, because uh, for that kind of stuff, it's really you really need to be 100% into it. So if you're not, then it's going to take a lot of time. Do you think that's... Um a danger when you're creating a successful IP that if people are screaming out for a sequel that um, it's very difficult to they call, was it, catching lightning in a bottle and, mm-hmm. and, but you sound quite, as I said you said at the beginning, you sound kind of quite relaxed even though there's, you know, obviously the voices, but um, <laughs> it helps, you know and uh, <laughs> even though I'm yeah, a little bit of role playing with the, with the voices it, it really uh, portrays the, the feel of it, because it's not like <clears throat> I'm building a game for the success and for the backers, I want really to create the best possible game that I can, and yeah. if I approach it in that manner not for people or for or money or that kind of stuff then it alleviates that that pressure from from outside and then it's all me i mean how how good can i produce that uh can i find those artists can i somehow develop that that ideas that can be flushed into a game or not will i fail so a lot of that is on me and uh, i like that much better and to give that responsibility to the outside world. I mean, during the time that, um, you know, during the time that the Machina was getting ready and printed and produced, were you, I mean, did you have other ideas that you were thinking about? I mean, that must have been, I mean, to get, to be successful, and it was very, very successful, did it give you a massive kind of boost in confidence for you to kind of dust off other ideas or did you spend so much time on Machina that it was difficult to kind of maybe focus yourself on other things? Uh, I couldn't do that at the moment because uh, at that time uh, there was a couple of changes in my life, as I mentioned, with emigrating to Ireland and uh, with the baby. So all of that just shifted my focus for some time I couldn't um, and it wasn't uh, it didn't felt right you know to develop new stuff while you know the baby's underway so I put that I postponed that for a little while before yeah. it opened again that opportunity yeah yeah I guess it's like external pressures of a real life as opposed to a fantasy life and all of a sudden you realize you've got to be taken into account you've got to provide for the family, and even though you've got the pressure off. I mean, I think regardless of how well a kind of a Kickstarter does, you know, if you're producing, you know, I think one of the biggest myths, I think, for Kickstarters (laughs) is even when somebody does really, really well on a Kickstarter, 
the actual money that they make isn't probably as much as people would like to think it, you know, <laughs> kind of think yeah. it is. Exactly. Um, and I mean, a successful, I mean, um, let's look at Gloomhaven. I mean, Gloomhaven did spectacularly well on its first time round. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Isaac had to do another Kickstarter in order to do the second printing. <laughs> because... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because there was, you know, there were certain things that happened during the first one that would have cost money. I know of a lot of people who, the last person I spoke to, I think, um, Frank West, who did um, City of Kings. Mm -hmm. And he had a really, again, really, really successful Kickstarter. Everything was going really, really well. And then he got to as far as the, um, the boxes getting shipped over for the games. And the way the games had been stacked meant that some of the boxes were damaged. So you have to mm. go ahead and get, you know, a whole pile of boxes, yeah, know, basically okay. kind of redone, you know, all redone, and that, you know, that can essentially kind of clear you out. So I can understand where you're coming from if you decide, well, listen, we're going here, we're going to be doing some contracting, and you obviously get some get some kind of good, good, good kind of money, but kind of behind you. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, with that, with that being said, do you see? I guess this is another personal question for yourself. But do you see being a ga- being a game designer as a viable career option, or are you going to be? Is it better to have the model where you can say, "Well, I'm probably better making the game, concentrating on it, and then going back into the software engineering again, kind of thing," in order to make sure there is kind of, you know, there's food on the table kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's some kind of a hobby, something like a part-time thing that you do yeah. every now and then. It, it depends. It depends on the success and it depends on uh, on your mindset. If you could see yourself as some kind of a <clears throat> obsessive freak who can deal with uh, organizing everything and, uh, you know, trying to, to message people like a few hundred emails per day and if if you can do that, and you if you have a lot of success with Kickstarter, then it it is a viable option. But <clears throat> sorry, but I think it's very hard, and uh, there's just a, a couple of slots for a few of them. But it wouldn't be a viable option if uh, you would recommend that to the general game designers. So I would say don't try <clears throat> to build a career on top of that. It's better to try to adapt on the things that come at you. So try to do things from the from the heart, from the passion. And if it's a success, try to build on that and then adapt to that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It's always a, it's the, um, as you create a successful Kickstarter and then what do you do after you've done the successful kind of Kickstarter? Because unless you're going to kind of like retail and have a distribution channel. You could be the guy that does a successful Kickstarter and then four years later you're back in a normal kind of job job because <laughs> you're kinda of like, well I did all my work and that's it. I don't I don't kinda of have anything anything to kinda of, to kinda of offer. But um I mean as I say, this must be I mean, are you you said you're calm, but I mean are you you sound still quite, you know, excited and are you kind of ready to to see what happens over the next kind of thirty. I mean, how long? How long is the Kickstarter going to be kind of running for? Uh, just going to be twenty-three days, a little bit Whoa. lower <clears throat> than the you know the normal like thirty days. Was yeah, there a there's reason? No need. Is, 
Was there a reason for that? Well, most of the times uh, when you look at the graph of the, the fund of Kickstarters, uh, the biggest uh, plateau is in the first three days and uh, also the last like 48 days, uh, 48, no, 72 hours and 48 hours. So three days and two days of the end of the campaign. Mm-hmm. You're like the biggest uh, chunk of meat in, in terms of funding. So in order to have that kind of a mid, you might need to be very, you know, very experimental and uh, try to, to keep up the momentum. But sometimes it's not worth it so much. So sometimes it's better to squeeze a little bit, uh, to squeeze the campaign uh, to about 20 sums, 20 something days to get the most of it. And I mean, kind of. Yeah, I've seen that. I mean, I think um, I'm just trying to think. Starcadia, Simon's latest projects, like fourteen days. <clears throat> yeah, but that's a uh, cool mini or not, is it? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, well, exactly. So you can just go ahead <laughs> and say, right, okay, give us all your money, and then exactly. Bye. See you later. I think they even they even uh, had some campaigns for like five days or something like that, just a couple of days, and that's it. Like uh, turbo turbo campaigns, like ultra yeah. fast campaigns and they can do that because you know it's not like they're like first creators and uh, need to deal with the engagement and the exposure yeah. so that's the thing i mean kickstarter is for some some kind of a retail uh retail how, how would they say that you know some kind of a shop online shop and for yeah, some well it's, it's actually it's, it's becoming an online shop isn't it because yeah monolith monolith next game is going to be like a you um you order from us and, and we've already got a thousand units ready to go and you're just you're basically pledging to to yeah, race please. to get your kind of your copy of the game. I mean mm-hmm. um I mean going back to going back to you from say twenty thirteen, um I guess if you told yourself <laughs> what Kickstarter was like now, you'd probably mm-hmm. be pretty shocked. <laughs> you know, that people are gonna people have to have kind of like full fully developed art before they can launch a campaign you can't get away with just having five reviews yeah exactly. <laughs> you're gonna have to have like seven or eight potentially kind of gameplay videos you might have to have a smashing video at the beginning i mean one of the things i guess you'll have the whole minis <laughs> yeah, why, yeah exactly. why aren't why aren't there minis in your game <laughs> kind of thing but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean it was that i mean again i guess at the time um that would have been like a cost thing you know because it's is it is it standees you've got for yeah, and I still do, and uh, I don't even plan on uh, having minis in uh, in Markin Arcana for now, and there's no need for that. I mean, I know that uh, <clears throat> you know I could try to rationalize and try to to give the people the best explanation why I really do think that minis for Markin Arcana just doesn't work. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, you know, because a lot of people want minis and most of the time they're just buying the game because of that. And in, in, in light of that, I'm not even trying to, to win them because I understand the, uh, the value of minis. Uh, they have some kind of a, even I would say magical property, you know, some kind of a, 3D representation of, of the unit. Uh, but for Machina Arcana, it doesn't work, mostly because the map spaces are uh, quite small, like 2.5 centimeters. 
and uh, yeah, it, yeah. it wouldn't make sense that your hero is the same size as like some kind of a big boss like Spawn of Cthulhu. Yeah, it, it didn't feel right for the immersion, uh, so we didn't go uh, with that with that idea. Also, uh, the cost of minis. Yeah, people don't understand that if I have like and I do have like fifty unique units, that's gonna be like you know mostly we're looking at maybe two hundred thousand dollars just for like a default stuff, just for tooling stuff. We're not even touching production, and uh, I don't want to take that kind of a risk. I wouldn't be confident as such. Uh, what I can do is produce the best possible standees with the best possible art, and then uh, the standees can even grow. So in the, this second edition, uh, based on the monster level, they will grow, and you can do that because they're flat, and uh, there's a lot of space in that regard. And... Uh, I would even say that for me, I'm, I would say that I'm biased and I'm aware of that. But uh, those standees work pretty well because uh, net, not just that they're in color, they also have the background in them. So it looks a little bit better and immersive to me than uh, just a, a, like a white uh, mini. Of course, you can paint them, but... Uh, that also involves a lot of work, and I'm not sure how many people do with that. I think they do, a lot of them. I mean, that's the reason why they're buying minis. But I'm not into minis, and I'm not into painting, so I don't see the appeal for myself. So It's the weight thing. It's also the size of the boxes. I mean, I remember Everything. getting, I remember getting the, um, the pledge through for the others, mm-hmm. and... This thing came. This thing came in the box. You could probably fit like a rather a reasonable sized dog in. To be <laughs> yeah, yeah. honest, and it was also the other thing is as well as you play the core game, but you keep the other minis to the side because you don't necessarily want to be kind of playing with them just now, and mm-hmm. they end up kind of not getting kind of played of. I mean, um, City of Kings again is a good example. They use they've got standees, and Frank was adamant he wasn't going down the miniature route because he didn't think again, just like yourself, he didn't think it f- was fitting in with the aesthetic of the game, and mm-hmm. with you know basically the size of the tiles, the t- the size of the gaming, the kind of the gaming uh, the game space that you had. So you know that's one of these. One of these things, and as you write, it's the cost. I mean, if you turn around and says, "Okay, well, this time we've got to add on an extra, you know, thirty-five, you know, thirty-five dollars a box," and it's like, "Well, why is that?" And it's like, "Well, because you've got a little bits of pl- <laughs> you've got a little bits mm-hmm. of plastic mm-hmm. kind of in there as well." Um, and yeah. uh, the another thing is with the unique units. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, Kickstarter board games with miniatures have a lot of. The units, the same units, like they have like ten spiders and ten brutes, but in Machine Arcana everything is unique. Every card is unique, so we are looking at like fifty unique models. So that's the cost of that is just extraordinary, and not just the cost, uh, even the logistical problems with that. So what if there's some kind of a problems with the quality of them? A lot of board games have that quality problems, and uh, what then? Know, there's a lot of uh, things involved that are sometimes out of my reach and I can't uh, control that. So 
I try to adapt and try to control what I can. And that's also the reason why postponed minis for now. Maybe for some other game, but not now. So getting down to the, the nitty gritty, as we shall say, mm-hmm. um, how much is it going to be to um, to pledge to get the, the kind of the core game for Machina Arcana? It's going to be $50 for the core game. That's nothing. In the scheme well, of things. Mm-hmm. In the scheme of things nowadays. Because I see, I mean, this is our thing. This is me on my ranting thing. Mm-hmm. I am currently being put off by pledging on anything on Kickstarter because the base stuff seems to be about $120. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm just looking at or nine, you know, $129, and that's just it's it's quite yeah, high. It's too much, yeah, it's too much, and that's my reasoning again. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the marketing way right? because the the Kickstarter produces not just produces uh, because of the competition, it uh, it values the 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 products that give more. So. It's it's more about giving more about uh, you know flashing with uh, with miniatures and uh, with number of stuff. But uh, if if you have less, it would feel to some backers that you're not offering the same value for for the dollar. Yeah. So, yeah. But that's the problem. But uh, it's it's inevitable, and uh, you know that that's just the reality of that. So even. Yeah, no. Uh, what were you saying? Well, also uh, for for that fifty dollars, it's not just we are gonna give you less stuff. You know, for example, there's gonna be like three hundred illustrations in that game that we we designed, and uh, like I also said before, that every card is unique, and there's gonna be like uh, two hundred and fifty uh, stories and incidents happening, and some of them are like. Uh, like events that you're gonna read aloud, some kind of a poems, beneficial stuff that happens, bad things that happen, short stories. You know, uh, there's a lot of fluff and a lot of immersion in the game, and that's what I what I want to do. You know, I want to give a lot of immersion, a lot of value, but not with uh, with uh, just with stuff like miniatures, but with uh, with the experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, looking over the previous campaign, the game looks fascinating. It looks like a lot of fun. It looks oh, kind of like Richard, wait till you see the new one. I just yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah, I'll be I'll definitely be giving it a giving it a check. Um, if people have listened along tonight and they want to keep an eye on your good selves, where do we find you on the interweb nets? <laughs> interweb nets. <laughs> I haven't heard that term. Well. Uh, Facebook is our like go-to social uh, social network that we use. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our own website, of course, and the Twitter and uh, BGG, but uh, mostly uh, we publish our stuff uh, through our Facebook. Uh, a lot of illustrations can be seen there. Uh, yeah, we have a YouTube channel as well where we publish our tutorial videos, the overview videos, that kind of stuff. So, Excellent. Yeah, wherever you you 
put your finger and put the Machin Arcana in the search box, I think we're going to be there and uh, yeah, we're going to be present to, to respond to any questions that you might have. So what we'll do is we'll make sure we get all the links from you so mm-hmm. we can put them, we'll put them in the show notes so that we have notes to show. Cool. Sounds like a plan, Richard. <laughs> it, is, it is a plan. It is a plan. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, then go to the internet webs and search for We're Not Wizards. You'll find us on Twitter. You'll find us on Facebook. You'll find us if you go to our website, which is wearenotwizards.com. You'll find us our blog because we write previews, reviews and first thoughts about things now as well. And that is on wearenotwizards.blogspot.com. If you want to see photos, go to Instagram. We are not sure. wizards. If you want to go watch videos, we kind of don't do very many videos, but all of our podcasts, thanks to Podbean, end up on YouTube. So that's We Are Not Wizards Tabletop Podcast. If you search for that on YouTube, you will find us. Um, you can email us, which is magic at wearenotwizards.com. Um, and you can also, if you want to, if, if this is the first time you've listened, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy our chat. Um, if you want to listen more, if you go to a podcast catcher of your choice, like, you know, Stitcher and Spreaker and Acast and Player FM and Podknife and even Podbean itself, all these fabulous places, you can obviously go to Apple Podcasts as well. If you like what you've heard there, then please drop us a subscription. Um, if you like us even more, give us a rating or a review. And as we say... Um, if you are going to be giving us a rating or a review, don't give us 10 stars because it just makes me big-headed. But don't give me one because <laughs> I'm an ugly crier. Give us give us five because it's in the middle. No. And it's Eight average. or nine. Give and it's nine. average. Nine. It's, out of, it's out of five. You ruin. <laughs> you ruin the joke. <laughs> Right, you're ruining the joke. Stop it. Give us five because it's average and we are decidedly average. (laughs) But the the person who's not been average tonight, even though he ruined the joke like everybody else does, is Uriah Billich. Mm -hmm. It's been a pleasure, Richard, really. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about that. It's it's, it's good. I, I wish you all the best for your campaign. Um, I hope it's going to do really, really, really well indeed. And we'll make sure that when the campaign is live, we shall be sharing the Kickstarter link far and wide. There are only two more things to do. Mm -hmm. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. (laughs) Are we wizards? You're right. No, no, you're not a wizard. Absolutely not. And the, and the second... How do you say we're not wizards in creation? Minismo uh, Charubnyatsi. That sounds even better than what I can say. That sounds brilliant. Um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that because that would be silly. Um, <laughs> and, this, and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a, bye, it's a goodbye from Uri. Say goodbye. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, people. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll6s.com and um, check out Machina Arcana. If you missed it, like, if you're sitting there going, oh, 
2013 went by and I missed that fantastically well-funded game, then you're getting a second chance to jump back in, into the horror stories, the tiles, the the monsters of imagination and nightmares that only this man can create in his head. Um, so check it out. It'll be out now. It'll only be kicking about for 23 days. There'll be links in the show notes aplenty so you can go ahead and back, you know, check out the campaign, see what you think. But until the next time, goodbye. Goodbye.